Just as way of review, this is called this series called the Gospel of the Beatitudes, the Good News of the Beatitudes. Jesus came in verses one and two. He was aware of the great crowds. He took a position of authority, and then he articulated the Christian manifesto. That is some public document that gives the goals and intentions of what that organization is about. And that's what Jesus does here. He begins the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. And over the past four weeks, we've kind of had a little series within a series called The Humble, Hungry, Brokenhearted Beggar of God. And that's what the verses 3 through 6 give us. Verse 3 is that beggar of God. And that is, are we and you, are you and I dependent on God for everything? Do we see the very breath that we take as a gift of grace and that makes us poor in spirit? And then we looked at the brokenhearted uh, of God, that are we downcast? Do we, do we see our sin and we know our sin better than anyone else? Paul said he was the chief of sinners. And I, I bet you if any person I talk to here, you would say in your, to yourself, you know your sin better than anyone else. Does it break your heart? And then when you see the sin of others and the sin of culture and the fallen world we live in, does it break your heart? Do you mourn? And then the humble. Uh, last week, they don't get... Uh, Uh, defensive. They don't have to defend themselves, nor do they have to assert themselves, but they merely live for Jesus. They live for something greater than themselves, greater than their families. And today we're going to look at the hungry. Not only do we live for God, but do we long for God and his righteousness? Father, thank you for this morning. And I pray as we look at this one verse, the beatitude of beatitudes, the turning point in this introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. I pray that our lives would never be the same. I pray that we would never, ever, ever look at righteousness the same, that we would see it as coming from you, through your Son, in us, for the world, all for your glory, all by your grace, all for our good and the good of those around us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to begin with some things. We did a series uh, last summer called Food Networking, and I wish I would have had these pictures and these ideas when we did this series. It was, it was about how to connect people to the gospel around the table, and we did it through food. And today, that, that's the picture. Each, each week, we're looking at blessed are, for theirs is or shall be. There's a f- formula Jesus uses, and he's always giving pictures, and today is one of hunger. Maybe these will help you if you're not hungry. Your first picture, if you want to put your toppings on your taco easily, you take the middle tines of the fork and you open it up. Did you know that? I learned that this week. Check this out. Next picture. I did not realize this. I've gone 40 years of my life. I called my mom and say, why have you always made my sandwiches with the overlap? You leave the corners out. You cut that bologna or turkey or spam or whatever that is in half and you and you place it on there and you get you get whatever that is that could be provolone cheese for all i know but you don't miss the corners i love that that's the good sandwich guide or how about this i've done this i've been going to pazos i'm bringing home pizza for small group and it's it's tilting and you get home well take whatever bottle be it a water bottle or a coke bottle and you put it in the seat and it makes it level that's fascinating or check this out here's god's glory Can't open a pistachio? Insert a used shell into the opening. So you obviously have to begin, save your shells. Uh, But God designed it where you take that shell and it becomes like a, it pries open the pistachio. This is awesome. Here's something new I learned. I didn't know how to microwave two bowls at one time. You just flip over a coffee mug and whammo. You can, you, my wife and I can put in our 
vegetable soup or the other day we Every now and then, it's not normal, but you just have a little ramen. Do you ever have a craving for ramen? Daniel over there who has ramen and sugar says that. But here's even a better bowl. Check this out. That is the coolest thing ever. You get Ben and Jerry's ice cream, and you're just like, hey, we, we need to split this. Fine, find a knife, and you have a bowl right there. Are you hungry yet? Or how about this? I got this for our... Our dentist, uh, you take it, make sure it's unscented, and the picture's done. Unscented dental floss cuts your cakes, those of you who bake, and other soft solids perfectly. So you take that dental floss and you pull it through, and if you go to the next one, you, Merry Christmas, that season's coming up. You'll have cakes and cheese, and then, then you can use the dental floss to floss. <laughs> After, thank you. <laughs> There's a process here. Cut eat floss. This is getting even better. Two more. Check this out. Take Oreo cookies. You crumble them up and then you put them in ice trays. Then you pour in milk. You let freeze. And then you pour coffee over that. What a delicious dessert. And finally, have you ever known how to eat a cupcake properly? You split it and take the bottom part and then you put it on top like another Oreo And that is how you eat cupcakes. Oh, I wish I would have had those pictures. It's a different take on food that I had never seen before. Who's hungry? Hmm? Today, you will leave here uh, and you'll probably be physically hungry. Your belly will be yearning for food and you'll want to fill it with something yummy. Uh, And that there is gluten-free, it's dairy-free. That was another thing I didn't tell you about. We, we, we worked through the snacks. Every week, some gentleman would bring a snack to BTCP, and they were gluten-free and dairy-free. Uh, it was good. And sometimes we even had the blessed cupcake. And we were, you know, you hunger and thirst for things. But today, we're looking at a different kind of hunger. But today, we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, And we need to ask, do we hunger and do we thirst for Jesus and God's righteousness spiritually? Jesus said he fills those who hunger for righteousness. He fills them and they are satisfied. But the problem is our world doesn't hunger and thirst for those things. In fact, if you were to just trace a few things in our world, you see they become hungrier and hungrier, but not for righteousness and they're never satisfied. Just take it, for example, TV. You don't even need to watch much of it, but you can't even watch commercials today because some of them are so vile. TV, it used to be if they were showing a man and a woman, they actually had them in different rooms. And now we've moved on to the same rooms, to coupling, and now the new normal. Sports, did you know this, sports fans, that people used to play sports in this world for free? even at a professional level, because they loved the game and they wanted to participate in the game. And now we, we've gone from salaries to salary caps to guys who won't even play unless they get paid a certain amount. Or how about that gambling? Just think about gambling. Remember, you used to think about gambling. It was done somewhere over there, away from normal life. And in fact, if you wanted to go to the Mecca of gambling, you went to Vegas, but then... When I was growing up, especially in Oklahoma, you saw reservations turn their land into somewhere to gamble. And now you don't even have to leave your house. Online gambling, a $9 million a day industry. Everything 
Our world wants to get high, higher, quicker. They want pleasure over and over again. Ours is a culture that wants security and freedom. We want the government to take care of us, but nobody to tell us what to do. Agar said it best in Proverbs thirty fifteen: the leech has two daughters, give, give. There are so many cravings in this world, cravings for things other than Jesus will leave us empty. But you know what? Our diet, it's never too late to change our diet. And so today we're looking at the Christian appetite, Matthew 5, 6. And I'll give you an overview. It's our spiritual appetite. Do we have a spiritual appetite, much like our physical appetite? Do we have a spiritual appetite? And do we seek to be fulfilled with the food of God's righteousness? And is our soul fulfilled with that? Or do we seek other things? Let me read the verse again, and then we'll look at appetite. Blessed are those who hunger. Look at that picture there. And thirst for righteousness. The simplest way to know why we or somebody else does what they do is just to ask them, what do you want? It's a simple question. What do you want? Or to ask them, why do you do what you do? Why do you coach soccer? Why do you ski? Why do you fish? Why do you do these things? What do you want? Why do you do what you do? That shows you their cravings. It shows you their desires. It shows you the motivation. And some in, in secular psychology say those motivations are hardwired and they can never, ever be changed. But the New Testament is, says the exact opposite. The New Testament sets up for us over and over again. I could do a series on desires. I could do a series on cravings and talk about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life or the pride in possessions. That more often than not, and I, I would go so far as to say that everything that we struggle with sinfully, everything that we struggle with in our marriage and with our kids and in our job, every comes back to a desire. In our hearts, as James 4, there's a battle going on in between. Galatians 5 talks about a battle and there are evil desires that shouldn't be ever be done. And there are good desires. Amen. There are good desires that we can give too much attention to. Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. It is a sinful thing. It is not a problem to want to enjoy and a round of golf with people. Amen. It becomes a sin when that round of golf consumes you. And it's, uh, yeah, honey, I'm not going to be able to pre- coach practice anymore because I've got to be out and I've got to get this swing down. And the good neutral golf becomes evil. I always use the golf illustration because most of you don't golf and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But think about it in your own life. Anything that is good can be bad. I'm going to show you that even reading the Bible could be a negative if you do it for the wrong reasons. It all goes back to our desires. Psalm 119 should be the key to all our lives. Psalm 119.20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all time. We should be consumed in longing for God's way. Not rules like keep, but God's way at all times. It's about soul food. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And you know the problem most of us have here? The problem most of us have here is we've we've never been to the point where we're starving. And so we read this verse, Matthew 5, 6, we read it and we go, oh, yes. But I just want to know, and and if you feel free to hold your hand up, but I just want to know, is there anybody who's been, who's literally been hungry and starving to the point where you're, where you're, if I don't get a meal, I don't know what's coming. Anyone, anyone. 
One people, one person, two people. Seriously, we don't understand it. And so we blow right by it. But he's talking to people who are literally hungry and literally thirsty to live. He says, blessed are those people who are starving. Literally, happy are the starving. But we don't understand it because we've never been truly hungry. And I'm not saying that's a negative. I'm saying we're so blessed. But we can move right over this verse. Physical starvation is the closest we can picture to what Jesus was talking about here. And he's connecting the pain in your stomach to the problem of your soul. He's getting at spiritual starvation. Happy, are the, happy is the starving soul, for it will be satisfied. And contrary to what uh, secular psychology says, our desires can change. God can convert our desires. I've seen this happen. I was just with a few people a couple weeks back. And we were listening, we were talking about comedians that we had grown up with. And we just listened to, to just one minute of what we grew up with. And we were disgusted, praise the Lord. Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit on the heart of man. And we were like, why? How could we have done that? Some of us who, who you go into a local bar now and it's not cheers. God has changed your desires that you go into a local bar now, especially ones that are known for what they're known. And you just look around and you see the disappointment. You see the, you see the escape happening in your soul hurts. It's changed. That's not the way we once entered them. That's in fact, in my life, that's what I live for. Oh, I, I would study hard during the week. I made good grades by God's grace. But I lived for that Friday night, man. I couldn't wait. I went and earned money all summer, worked hard, long hours all summer to promote that desire of going out. And really, if I were to dig deeper, there was a deeper desire than just wanting to be in the bar, right? If we were to do a series on that and you start going to the root of that problem, it was a desire for acceptance and identity, etc. But that's another sermon for another day. So where are our desires? He said, those who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, they'll be filled. And when you talk about God's righteousness in the Bible, you get three ways to address it. The social, and I think it's up there, that God is liberating his people from their oppressors. You get the legal, God declaring sinners not guilty based upon the finished work of his son. And then the moral, God enables his people to live lives worthy of the gospel. So we're going to look a little bit at the legal and then the moral and see a combination of those. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew. If we look at Psalm 109.7, he said, He, he, for he, God, satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. It is God who's the satisfier. We don't earn our righteous food. We receive it like dependent little babes. I see them right there and they're a blessing. But they are totally dependent absolutely dependent on someone else to feed them. But we're, we're longing for something only God can provide. And it was the first, the father of our faith. Galatian calls Abraham, he's the father of our faith. And if we look at Genesis 15, 6, here is where he became righteous. And it wasn't something he earned because he is Abraham, father Abraham. He was desperate and he looks up at the stars And he sees what God had promised. Don't worry about what Lot wants. You do what I call you to do. You live obedient to what I've called you to do. And he believed the Lord and he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. Upon his belief, God counted to him as righteousness. 
The righteousness spoken of in Matthew 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, is that pattern of life conforming to God's will based upon his grace. And you don't have to go far in the, in the book of Matthew to see this. If you're following along in Matthew, you see it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you go to 510, you see it there. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The pattern of life for these people had got them persecuted. You can go further down into 520. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom. He's talking about how do you practice righteousness? And even there, he's saying, don't just go through the motions. It begins in the heart. And in 6.1, it says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. And so does our lives conform to God's will? Because it can be fake. Look at Matthew 23, 27 and 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, those who put on a mask. That's what that word hypocrite means. They're, they're play actors. They put on the mask. My boys want, they are nowhere near being ninjas. Nowhere. They own one or two sets of Ninjago Legos and all of a sudden they're, whoa. And that's what they want to be for Halloween. And so they'll put on the gear. They'll play act. They'll be literally, don't go calling my boys hypocrites. this. <laughs> But they will play act this, right? They will put on the gear. One's going to put on a green costume because he wants to be a buffalo ninja. That's just what they're going to be. They're play acting. He says, Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You play act. You're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, it can be faked. We can seek to be righteous in what we do. Catch that? We can seek to be righteous in what we do. Righteousness is whatever you are looking for to justify your existence. Here's what one commentator says many people find their righteousness in. Doing your work well as a parent, employer, employee, or homemaker. Being competent, capable, wise, an expert in your field. Here's one having scholarly achievements or being shrewd enough not to care about such things. You see how both sides can, are caught up. Being regarded as physically attractive, achieving the wisdom of the age and life experience. Practicing generosity or living below your means and being proud of it. Not getting noticed or not causing waves, not making hassles for others, keeping your nose clean. Being nice, kind, sweet with people, never losing your cool and having an even temper with everyone. Suffering psychological problems, trials, and hard knocks. That people even turn their suffering into some sort of justification and righteousness. Being cool, stylish, funny, witty, sophisticated. Able to tie a tie. Practicing cleanliness, neatness, and orderliness. Having a certain family origin, ethnicity, or history. Or loving your friends and family with loyalty. And we can tabulate those and we can... If you don't understand the gospel of grace, you can dare you would ever go before God and say, see, look what I've done. Here's my resume. Only one record of right living can earn you and I heaven. And it's Jesus' record. It's through his perfect righteousness that we can be righteous. Look at 1 John 2, 1 up there. 
My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. We can do it. We are not hardwired to live like sinners for the rest of our life. God changes it. He literally pulls out this and he puts in that through grace and we can live differently. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have a lawyer with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Here's the one, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the one that lived a life we could not live and he died a death we should have died. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells it like this. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. God, in his eternal plan, sent his son, the righteous one, to live a perfect, righteous life. He dies on the cross. And when he dies on the cross, he takes all our sin upon him, past, present, and future, all of our sin upon him. He took it at the cross. Our sin was imputed to him and then from him because of his death and resurrection, his righteousness is thus imputed to us. We do not earn it. We do not deserve it. Just like Abraham, it was credited to him. It would be like me tomorrow going to visit my favorite banker, Mickey Barrows. And he says, I don't know what happened over the weekend, but you just had like, and this is, I'm not even going to say a million dollars because that doesn't capture the biblical illustration. I'm not, I don't know how it happened, Judd, but this gentleman came in and he gave you an unending, unending account of money for the rest of your life. Unending. Mickey, you mean, you mean to tell me that I, I, I can never, I, I can, I, I, that's been credited to me, imputed to me, and I live off of that and I can never deplete it to a point where I, I'm wondering if I'm going to make it to the ne- Never. And then Mickey, because he's wise and astute and teaching one of our small groups, he would go, that's a great picture of Christ's righteousness for you. Do you get it? We, never, we don't ever wake up wondering, I wonder if God loves me today. Oh, he does. We don't ever wake up, I wonder if I'm worthy today. Oh, you are. Jesus is the righteous of righteousness of God that we desire and can obtain God in his grace fulfills those desires. That's what Jesus is getting at. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are declared. That's the legal. In Christ, you and I are righteous. That doesn't mean we're any more godly the day that we accept Jesus than the day before. But we are righteous. We are clean. We are not guilty. And we spend the rest of our life becoming more like Jesus. And God, through the power of the Spirit, makes us holy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. More on that in a few weeks. Those who are declared righteous now can do righteous. You have to catch that. Being declared righteous, then you can do righteous. Never do you do righteous and then you are declared righteous. Amen? Big nods? Yes. Paul brings this together in Philippians 3, both the legal standing before God and our moral activity for God. And I think it's one of the best passages on this. If you'll turn with me, if you have your Bible, turn in a physical scroll and a digital. We don't care here at Eagle Bible Church. Just get there or you can look up top. Philippians 3, 1 through 16. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is of no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Paul repeats himself. I'm repeating myself is what he's saying. Jesus did it. He gave the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in Luke 6, he gave the Sermon on the Plain in 
used some of the very same language. He repeated himself. Good pastors repeat themselves over and over again because they only have one message. Amen? It's, we just have one message. God exists. You are created in his image. All of, all of humanity, including you, went away and fallen into sin. But Jesus Christ died for your sin and he rose from the grave and he lives and he sits at the right hand of God. And if you believe in him, you can be with God forever. That is the message. We could come in each week and just say, this week we're going to talk about how God exists and how, and we could just carry on. And so Paul repeats himself. It's a safe thing to learn about the truths of the gospel every week. He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and in glory in, Christ, in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. The dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh, literally were people who were trying to achieve righteousness and live the life they were supposed to live in their own confidence, in their own flesh. And Paul goes on in verse 4 and he says, you know what, I can match any of you. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to a law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I had it all. It would be like me saying... I came from a church that holds to the inerrancy of the word. I've memorized almost all of the New Testament. I've not missed a day of church in my life. Even when we're on vacation in Mexico, we go find a church, right? And I can just talk and talk and talk. And you're like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Just like Paul, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever achievements I have in my life, those are a loss. It doesn't matter at the end of the day how good of a daddy I am. If I'm basing my eternal state on my uh, giftedness as a father, I'm done. It doesn't matter what I did in my grade point average. It doesn't matter. Now, kids, don't go, the pastor said I don't have to get... No, no. You work hard by the grace of God and you do your homework and you... Strive to do your best and forget the rest. But your academic achievements, your athletic performance, your artistic abilities, your, your way as a spouse, your way as a parent, your way as an employee, employer, none of those matter. All of it is a loss. Indeed, I count everything, verse 8, as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I count them as excrement is what Paul is saying. They stink. They're of no use, not even for manure. Put it out, bury it, it's no good. And here's the key verse in verse nine. And be found in him. Key phrase. If you forget everything I say here today, don't forget this phrase in Philippians 3, 9. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or for us that comes from obeying things, that comes from 
uh, my church attendance, my church reading, my Bible reading, my uh, small group attendance, my good deeds, my feeding the poor, my, 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 my. Not from a righteousness that comes from my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. I'll be honest with you. Up until about seven years ago, my Christian life was one of achievement. God's going to bless me because I did this program, because I read my Bible, because I memorized these scriptures, because I attended this, because I served here, because I did that. And through the Gospel Coalition and through some great men of God and through some great accountability partners, they said, why are you trying to achieve what only God can give? And I am afraid that I'm not the only one. Why do I say that? Well, the Bible says that no temptation has overtaken me such as as common to man. I'm not talking about temptation to drink. I'm not talking about temptation to adultery. I'm talking about a temptation to believe that God loves me because of what I do versus God loves me because he loves me and he sees me through what Christ has done. And Paul goes on that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. So much that he wants to share in his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He is saying, if whatever it takes, I want to be just like Jesus. And I want to, I want to rest in his finished work. Now, he could have stopped right there, and then we would have had a lot of bumper stickers. See, just let go and let God. But he goes on. And these are probably just as important as that verse 9, 12 through 16, we have to see as well. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Paul saying, I'm going to continue to go live a holy, moral life because that's what I'm called to do. And look why he can do this. Key here. I press on to make it my own because, key word there, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It is my boy when he comes to me and he says, I'm going, Daddy, I know you love, love me so much. I'm going to do this. I know you love me and you'll never um, give up on me. I'm going to give it my all and said credible whatever he wants to do athletically, academically, in the arts. I love you so much. I'm going to do this. Yes, you do that. And if you shouldn't score a goal, if you should lose the whole season, that's okay because I still love you. The motivation to move ahead is based upon what's been done in the past. Christ Jesus had made Paul his own. He said, I want to be holy. I want to obey. See, and this is how Dr. Tim Keller has said it. It's not, I do these, do these good things so God will love me. He says, God loves me and my motivation is to do these good things. It's what we talked about last week. We had the, we're trust fund believers. We have no concern because the Father is taking care of us. But our motivation is different. We don't just... Lay around and, well, Jesus is coming someday. Just going to kick on and just, you know, relax. Got my fire insurance. It's, he's coming and God loves us. And so we're going to do these things. It's a shift in thinking. We can be right because Jesus owns us. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. I don't live in the past. I don't live on what God, what God has done through me in the past. I don't live on my resume from the past. I forget it, and I strain forward. I strive to what lies ahead. Do we do that? That's, that's the, maybe that's a better illustration. Are we striving? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do we strive for that? Do we sweat? Do we agonize? Do we press on for the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any, if in anything you think otherwise, I love this. To the believer, there's utmost confidence that God will change their mind. If anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. If you're a true believer and you don't, believe, you don't understand this, God's going to work it out. Do we hunger and thirst for righteousness or are we living off the leftovers? And are we giving our leftovers in life to God and the church and his mission? Leftovers, they're good. They're biblical, right? We talked about that last summer. Leftovers are biblical. Jesus did the miracle, 12 baskets, seven baskets. Not saying leftovers are bad, but are you giving God your leftovers? Are you hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Or are you just, yeah, I'm just going to have some leftovers today. Ah, you know what? I'm not really going to prepare for my sermon. I know what I'll do. I'll just have the leftovers. I'll just put bag on. Go listen to my old pastor. No need to study it. No need to study it and crave it for myself. I'll just listen to them, juggle it a little bit, throw in a little Judaism. Boom, we're there. Are you giving God... Your leftovers, you wake up every week, God, this is your week, you do with it what you will. If I can make it to a small group, maybe. If I can make it to a meeting, maybe. If I make it to, you know, church, maybe next week. But here's what I'm going to do this week. Or are you waking up going, Father, I don't know even how I'm going to make it through today. But one thing I know for sure is I'm going to heaven. It's like I've won the lottery. And so here's what I'm setting out to do. Your Bible says, I plan my way, but you direct my steps. And I want everything I do to be honoring to you. I'm so hungry for my neighbors and my coworkers and the people I gather with every Sunday. I'm so hungry for myself and them to see the righteousness of God. If you should change anything this week, I'm going to trust you with it. And I can't wait to go back to church next Sunday because I want to hear what you have to say. Oh, that preacher, he's flawed, no big deal, but you are saying something. I can't wait to be there. I can't wait to sing that song and say, I exalt thee. I can't wait. They're doing such a good job with that praise team. I can't wait to get back there. They're teaching hot topics in their Sunday school. I can't wait to get there. Or is it, uh, I guess we have to, you know, because we want to show, you want to be a good example for our children. I don't know how many times I've heard that. When, I, when my kids get old enough, I'll then get back in church. That's not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So if you are a Christian and you think that way, I love this verse. God will reveal that to you. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. So if you flip back to Matthew 6, here's that artful paradox of the Christian life. <clears throat> it sounds odd, but it's true. Be and become what you already are. That's, what? How do we become what we already are? Exactly. Was Jesus 100% God or man? Uh Uh-huh. Be and become what you are. You already are a saint. Amen? You already are holy. You are set apart. You are useful to the Lord. You are that. 
That is the Beatitudes. These are the things that you are. Poor in spirit, mournful. This is who you are. And you pursue those things. But you just said I am. Exactly. That's who you are and you pursue those things. Blessed are, theirs is the kingdom of heaven and everything in between is future. Now, not yet. I am a saint. That's what the New Testament calls me. And I'm pursue holiness without which no one will see God. I am a child of God. And, I'm be, and I am to be conformed like my big brother, Jesus. I'm an heir. I'm an heir with him. You ever think about that? Well, I read this once this week. They were talking about the Puritans. Little side uh, topic, but you need to hear it. The Puritans were really good at one thing. They thought about heaven. To which we don't think about that much. We get so caught up in our day and we think about our day. We think about what we have to do. But they thought about heaven. They, they actually planned their week not to be crazy busy, but to take time to reflect on heaven. And then when that, that actually motivated and guided them in how they lived their day. And that's what I want to do here is be who I am a saint. I am I am a child of God, that, that, that Jesus is his unique son. He's his only son, his only begotten son, but I'm a child of God and I'm just becoming like my big brother. Be and become who you already are. Why? What's, what's Jesus say here? Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. You ever ate any nasty food? It fills you up, but you just feel a little uh, Gross. And you, if you do that over and over, you become accustomed to feeling, well, gross. And it doesn't satiate you in the long term. But what we want to be, if last week was trust fund believers, this week we want to be full-bellied believers. We want to be satisfied with the smorgasbord of holiness that God gives us in his Bible. You mean to tell me that I can discover God's righteousness in here? And be filled with it. I don't need to tell you that. I'll let Ezekiel tell you that in chapter 3. And he said to me, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly on this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it. It was in my mouth. It was as sweet as honey. Ezekiel was, I mean, if you read the book of Ezekiel, he was a unique fella. He had to do some crazy things. But you eat this and then you go talk to the house of Israel about it. Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. They're sweeter than honey in my mouth. Yeah, Judd, that's Old Testament. I mean, give me some New Testament. No problem. How about red letter text? But he answered in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he goes on to say in John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. We live by God's word. We are sustained by doing his word and his work. 66 books of grace-filled, joy-producing, God-glorifying, Christ-exalted, spirit-authored, holy writ. But there's a danger here. I'm just sure. Don't ever, and I'm speaking from experience, don't approach this to check it off a list. Don't ever do it. It's a, it's a war. 
I warn you and myself, don't do it. I actually, I remember in Texas being at a Panera Bread, entered into my journal, I am sinning by reading my Bible. And you may be saying, that's awkward. No, because I wasn't reading it to see the beauty of God, to see God's righteousness, to be changed, to hold it up as a mirror to my life and go, I need to be transformed by the information. I was reading it to obtain and to gather and to get for myself. Nevertheless, I would always ask you to keep reading your word, but as Jeremiah 17, 9 just says, check your heart. It's desperately sick. Who can know it? Always challenge your motivations. Why are you hungering for certain things? Today, you will go from here and you will eat lunch and you will be satisfied. And then about four or five hours later, depending on what you eat, should you eat something heavy and you may not be hungry (laughs) later. But you'll be hungry later on, whether it be tonight or tomorrow. And then you'll eat another meal. But there's a better meal coming. Can't wait. Revelation 19, then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude. There's the great multitude. Like a roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah. The Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Lauren was just asking Ashley today about um, our wedding and, and our rehearsal dinner and where we ate after our wedding in the limousine. And now they heard about a limousine and they just, well, we want to ride in the limousine. I'm like, it's but they heard about this meal and she said, was it fun? Was it pretty? Was it, oh, it was great. It's great because you were there. But can you picture, and we've been to some, we, I actually read scripture in a wedding in Houston. You remember this? I got a robe from the hotel I stayed in. Yeah. I read, all I did was read scripture. I went to this wedding reception, quarter of a million dollars Sushi here, everything over there, and we were just, golly, we had pizza at our reception. No, we didn't. Her mom wouldn't allow it. Anywho, (laughs) it's true. I thought it would be cool. Anyway, quarter of a million dollars, and my eyes are wide open going, this is absolutely phenomenal. And then we have this coming where the bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her, now watch this, to clothe themselves in fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the what? The righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Quarter of a million dollars ain't nothing. And I just said ain't from the pulpit because I'm from Texas. Oklahoma, but Texas is not anything compared to what's coming. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Do you believe that? This is the beatitude of beatitudes. It's a profound summary of the Christian faith. You no longer have to search for something to justify your existence. If you're a Christian, you have all the righteousness you'll ever need. 
You never need to have all the right. uh, You never need to wake up wondering whether God accepts you. You never need to worry about what will happen if you fail in your faithfulness. You are secure in Jesus if Jesus is your righteousness. Your account bursts with righteousness and you will never start any day in a deficit. Amen? Rather, every day is a surplus. You will continue to mourn your poverty of spirit and seek your meekness more clearly, but that will just make you hunger and thirst all the more for the righteousness that Jesus has deposited in your account. You long for righteousness. You are bent on getting it. In fact, you have found some and you're banking on it. The question is, is whose righteousness is it? If you come to Christ's table having already stuffed yourself with your own righteousness, you will starve yourself and never know the satisfaction of the gospel. But if you come to the table with an appetite for Christ's righteousness, it is yours. Bring your appetite and feast at the table of the comprehensively perfect righteousness of Christ, and you'll be satisfied. Father, give us that hunger. Give us pictures like at the beginning of this sermon that cause us to hunger for your righteousness. When we see it in somebody else's lives, Let's let them know that they're living righteous. Let's encourage them so that they hunger and thirst for more, not to please men, but to please you and to work out of what you've already done for them in Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray, amen. Those men who are helping with communion would come forward. As they are passing out the uh, elements, I would encourage you, if you're a believer, uh, to take the communion with us. If you are not, just to refrain. And I just want to read to you 1 Corinthians and let you think about the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you. Father, now as we look into our own souls, Lord, if we're building our righteousness on anything other than Jesus, would you gently uh, convict us of that? sin and comfort us with your grace. Would you compel us to reevaluate why we do all we do so that we recognize that all we do, we do for you. From the very uh, mundane tasks of the day to the most majestic things that we can be doing as husbands and wives, as parents, as employers and employees, let all that we do bring honor to you. 